He is radically calling us to radically follow Him, to do less and to be with Him. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. And so if you have your Bible, would you turn with me please to Luke chapter 10 this morning. Today we're beginning a new series of studies entitled Radical Discipleship. And we're turning to Luke chapter 10 and reading from verses 38 to 42. And you'll find it on page 1613 of the Pew Bible. Page 1613, Luke chapter 10. Over these next 10 Sunday mornings together, we will be spending our time in this series entitled Radical Discipleship, and we're beginning this morning with Mary and Martha. And we're breaking into chapter 10 at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to them. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had been made, that had to be made, rather. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. On Easter Monday evening, I received an email from a member in the congregation, which I shared with most of us last Friday in our Fridays at First Church email. And I wanted to read it again this morning as it seemed appropriate to our study. This is a young father writing about his son having tucked his son up in bed on Easter Monday evening. And he writes, Pastor, tonight as I laid my son down for bed, he asked specifically if we could pray for the preacher. I asked, which preacher? To which he replied, the very old one from Switzerland who sometimes wears a skirt. His son goes on to say, I like his preaching, and I hope he doesn't die. <laughs> I was particularly grateful for that sentence, I have to say. His dad goes on, after I composed myself, he led us in a very heartfelt plea for your physical and spiritual well-being, and I have to imagine that it warmed the heart of God. And as soon as I read it, of course, I smiled and laughed and thoroughly enjoyed it, and it warmed my heart as well. It's a fascinating thing to discover how others view us, how they see us. And over these next 10 weeks together, we will be pausing Sunday by Sunday to look intentionally and intently at some of the disciples along with some of the major characters in Scripture. And the question we will be asking again and again on a Sunday morning is this, what is it that was in them that God saw and then made them radical disciples. 
So we'll spend our mornings looking at some of these biblical characters, asking what are the lessons to be learned, what do we see in them that applies to us, and then seeking to apply it to our own lives. And today, as you know, we're coming to Mary and Martha. Now, I think for most of us, Mary and Martha we would not consider as people of power and influence. They don't have great natural abilities. There's no personal accomplishments in that sense. But here we are, 2,000 years later, taking the time on Sunday morning to open up the Scriptures and ask, what was it in Mary and Martha that Jesus was so attracted to that the Gospels tell us He spent time in their home on a regular basis? Let me ask you the question. If this afternoon you could have anyone at all in all of history or present day to come over to your home this evening for a meal around six o'clock, who would you invite? Would it be a great sports icon that you have admired for years? Would it be your kindergarten teacher? Would it be Albert Einstein, Sir Isaac Newton, Perhaps you have a famous or favorite president you'd want to have sitting around a meal and have an opportunity to talk and converse and listen. And if you invited the Lord Jesus to come and sit at your table this evening, what would you be doing all afternoon in preparation for His visit? That's what's taking place with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. They are always mentioned together as a threesome. Martha, probably the oldest, as the Scripture tells us, it is her house. She's always mentioned first when they are listed in the gospel, so possibly Martha was the oldest, then Mary, and Lazarus possibly the youngest. There's no mention of any of them being married. We don't know how they first came into contact with Jesus. We imagine, of course, that they heard His teaching and His preaching. They watched the impact of the gospel in the lives of others. The gospel, of course, would impact them, and they would then befriend Him. And He's very much at home in their home. And the passage, again, doesn't tell us this, but so forgive my imagination. And I imagine that the passage is clear. The opening verse tells us they were on their way Jerusalem was two miles from Bethany, and at least in my mind, I imagine them going up to Jerusalem. And when Martha realizes they're passing through, she says, come and, uh, and join us for something to eat. And Jesus and the disciples do that. And I imagine that as they entered the home and sat down, Jesus would engage in conversation with the other disciples and finding out how Mary and Martha and Lazarus were doing, doing exactly what house guests would do. But Martha was super conscientious. She wanted to be the ideal hostess. And so she's running back and forward, making the preparations, laying out the table, putting down the silverware and the plates and goblets to drink from. And she's back and forward between the kitchen and the dining area, making sure that everyone's comfortable. Lazarus engaging folks in conversation. And Martha is running back and forward. And Martha strikes me as an A-type personality. If you ever want a job done, if you need someone to supervise a project, ask for Martha. 
She would have it all laid out. Martha's a kind of individual. If it wasn't on her list, she would do it, then put it on her list so she could then score it off. That's Martha. Intentional, creative, longing to take the initiative. Whenever there's a problem, she seems to step up and seek to deal with it. That's Martha, busy, focused. That's her character. She probably has been like that most of her days. Perhaps, being oldest in the family, she had no choice. And as this narrative develops, what we also discover is this, that here is Mary sitting close to Jesus. In fact, the passage tells us she was sitting at His feet, listening, intentionally drinking in everything that's said, engaging with the Son of God. And can you imagine what that conversation would be like? Insightful, authoritative, engaging, profound. Wouldn't you want to just sit there and listen and drink it in? And here is Mary. And as the passage goes further, it changes. And notice what comes next. We have this domestic, tranquil scene where all is well, but then we move to verse 40. Martha was distracted by all of the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, what has changed? Martha, who begins with showing a servant's heart, a willingness to serve, a desire to be there and make others comfortable, to take the initiative and make sure that there is enough food and drink on the table and everyone's enjoying the evening. And then she turns. And it does not turn out well for Martha. Her focus her intent, her motivation and desire was good, helpful. She had a servant's heart. But that focus shifted fairly quickly, and notice what she does. She turns on Jesus. Of all people in the room, she turns on Jesus, and she says to Him, don't you care? Don't you care? tell her to get up and help me. Each of you can see I am busy running back and forward, and Mary's just sitting there. Tell her to come and help me. What has taken place? Now, let me pause for a second and take that situation, bring it forward into the 21st century, and seek to apply it to our own lives this morning. I am reasonably convinced, but again, it's more in my imagination than the text of Scripture, that this was an unplanned visit. And when something is unplanned, when a challenge comes our way that we're not expecting and it catches us by surprise, those of us with an A-type personality, our immediate default position is for action. We want to do something. We want to engage. We want to solve the problem. We want to understand what the bottom line is so we can take action. And especially when it catches us unaware. 
If Martha had known for some weeks that Jesus and the disciples were coming, I think she would have had several meetings with Mary and Lazarus and said, now, Mary, when they come, this is your job. You're in the kitchen. You're preparing the salad. I will prepare the main course. Lazarus, you sit at the table, engage in conversation, make sure everyone has something to drink. Now, let's get this going. Remember, they're coming at six, not five after. Six, you've got to be there. Be ready. Lazarus, take their coats and so on. That's how I imagine Martha preparing. But Martha was overwhelmed with the pressure and the challenge of seeking to get everything absolutely right for her guest. And that's a good thing. She is so frustrated, so cross, so annoyed, that in fact it overwhelms her. And she doesn't say, Mary, can you come and help me in the kitchen for a second? Or Mary, I need your help. Or can I have a word with you? And pull her off into the kitchen and say, what on earth are you doing? I need your help. This place is falling apart. And you're sitting there, you're doing nothing. Come on. But that doesn't happen. She becomes so frustrated, it just boils over. And she says to her, in fact, not to her, but to Jesus, don't you care? Let's come back to the 21st century again. When we find ourselves in a situation when we are caught off guard, when we are unprepared, when we are utterly surprised, that is when most often a real character comes to the surface. And Martha was so busy doing, she was forgetting to be. Let me say that again. Martha was so busy doing, she was forgetting to be. She wanted the best. She wanted to be the perfect hostess. She wanted an experience that would be memorable. But Mary wanted to sit at the Lord's feet and drink in everything He said. And the lesson there for us is this. We can never do unless we spend time with Him first. We must be in His presence before we can ever do for Him. Folks, let me challenge you this morning, especially those of us with an A-type personality. Doing for God is never our first call. Being is our first call. Being in Christ, being intimate with Him, longing for a heart passion for holiness and obedience and surrender submissiveness, to be asking, Father, what are you doing in my life today that I need to be responding to? We can only do when we have been. It is never do first. That was seen in Mary. That's what set her apart. That's why she was extraordinary. That's why when you dig down deeply, when you seek the quintessence of her life and character, it was shaped and fashioned through her intimacy with Christ. Let's hold that scene for a second. 
And let's move forward a little to John chapter 11. And John chapter 11 takes day, the day immediately before, or excuse me, probably the week before Palm Sunday. Lazarus has died, and the family, of course, are utterly bereft, overwhelmed with grief and sadness. Jesus is in the northern part of Galilee. He's four days' travel away from Bethany. And as he makes his way south, he approaches the family home, and one of the sisters leaves the family home and runs to meet him, and it's Martha. And Martha runs to him, and what she says is this. She says, Lord, if you had been here, Lazarus would never have died. Now, remember what's going on. This is Martha, the A-type personality who has everything arranged, a bottom-line kind of girl. Tell me what the problem is. I'll provide the solution. If you had been here, this would never have happened. Now, pause for a second. There are three types of responses to an overwhelming challenge. And one of those responses is that when we have a technical challenge, we respond in a technical manner. And that is entirely appropriate. If this afternoon after lunch you switch on your cell phone and it's not working, or the signal is weak, or the battery is corrupt, or the software has been damaged in some way, of course you go to your provider tomorrow morning, you bring in your cell phone, you show them the problem, they give you a new battery perhaps, or they reset your cell phone, and you're up and ready to go and function in a normal week. Technical problem, technical response. With Martha, the death of Lazarus was in her mind a technical problem. Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened. A-type personalities see a technical response all over the place to everything. B-type personalities tend to have a strategic response. In other words, they step back a little. They are a little more measured in the response. They are a little more by nature, quiet, reflective, and they ask themselves not only what is going on here, but what else is happening that I can't immediately see. They don't rush into providing an answer. And so they are strategically responding. They are thinking, they're analyzing, they're assessing, then they respond. And the third response is that of transformation. And in the story of Lazarus' death, when Martha runs to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, this would not have happened, notice what Jesus says. He says to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, even though they die, ultimately will live. Martha, do you believe this? And Martha gives a technical response. She says, yes, I know at the great final day my brother will rise again. And Jesus says, uh-uh, that's not what I'm asking. Martha, slow down. Martha, take a deep breath. Listen to the question. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, I have power. 
and majesty over all of the problems that you will ever face, and I will bring glory and honor to the living God, even though your family is going through a difficult, heartbreaking experience. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? And Martha is pinned down by the Son of God, and He looks deeply into her soul and asks that penetrating question, not what are you going to do, but what do you believe? Martha, are you willing to be? Are you willing to be a believer? Are you willing to engage with me and trust me that regardless of what comes your way, whether it is designed or comes by surprise, Martha, you need to decide, are you willing to be a radical disciple who will follow me regardless of the circumstance and situation of your life? Martha, are you willing to be and Martha responds, and it is a breakthrough moment that for us crystallizes Martha's life for the rest of her days. You are the Christ who has come into this world. And God captures her heart and soul and mind at that moment, and Martha is forever changed because she has stopped doing and has become. That's radical discipleship, and she no longer confuses doing and being. And so, the challenge this week is this, that as you leave here this morning, and go about the rest of your Sunday and begin a normal working week. The challenge for us is this. Father, what are the areas in my life that I now need to let go? I now need to let go. I no longer have to be running around harassed and harried. What do I need to let go? And what are you calling me to focus on? and grant me, please, the grace to be. And for those of us who are more like Martha, we need to become a little more like Mary. And those of us whose natural default position is Mary, we need to become a little more like Martha. And please know this, psychologists tell us it takes about 60 days, eight full weeks, to break the pattern of a lifetime. But here is the good news for us this morning, that when the Holy Spirit is actively at work in our hearts and souls, it takes a lot less than 60 days, because He never asks us to do it in our own strength. And so, this morning as we leave, He is radically calling us to radically follow Him, to do less, and to be with Him. Let's pray together. 
Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture. Thank you for the lessons we have learned this morning of what it means to be in Christ, to be listening to you, to be attentive and intentional in our walk with you. Father, help us please to let go some of the things that are causing us distress and to trust in you for the rest. Hear our prayers, O God, as we bring them to you in and through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year, also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic, and uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us. Hargrove and I'm the Ignite Worship Service Pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. And at Ignite, we like to do four things. We call them the four C's. One, we want to be Christ-centered and Christ-focused. Secondly, we want to build community. That means we connect with each other in the service as well as outside the service. 
Third, we want to celebrate what God is doing among us. And fourth, we want to be connectional, connecting the Bible to everyday life as we go live, work, play, and stay in this community. So come at 1045 on Sundays to experience at night and see what God is doing with and among us.